Now, in this last session that we're devoting to the mystery of Cana, I want to just give some quotes from moderns like Donatien Mola, who's my old doctor father. He directed my thesis uh, on the notion of glory, which is, as you, if you can remember, is so key to this. Huh? The glory of God was revealed at Sinai, and then, and the, and the text ends um, by saying, and they believed in, in the Lord and in Moses. And this text ends by saying, and the disciples believed in him. In other words, there's a confluence of uh, allusions. All right. So what I'm going to do now is read some things that will just be helpful. And they'll be helpful for more than just this. This is a quote from Father Mola. It's in the Dictionary of Biblical Theology edited by Xavier Leon Dufour. The expression, the glory of Yahweh, means God himself. You got that? The glory of God is God himself insofar as he is revealed in his majesty, his power, the glow of his holiness, and the dynamism of his being. That's the glory. The glory of Yahweh is therefore epiphanic. It's revealed. It's revelatory. God manifests his glory by striking interventions. And the second type of divine manifestation, the visible reality, is the flashing radiance of the divine being. The essential revelation of the New Testament is the connection of the glory with the person of Jesus. So Jesus is the kavod Adonai. Finally comes to that, you see? That means all the others are anticipated realizations of this revelation. In Jesus, the revelation of glory and the life and death of Jesus appears still more explicit. So when John says, and they believed in him, see, he's echoing the last line of the Exodus account of they believed in Adonai and in his servant Moses because he's just redone Sinai. But it also means a much deeper thing. Now, uh, I, I want to read this text from uh, Benedict XVI. It's in an article of his uh, before he was Pope. Uh, and uh, But it's very important because of understanding how the Church is what he calls the subject of interpretation. Who is interpreting the Scriptures? The people of God. Now, among the people of God, there are some experts. That's good. But they're not the only ones who touch this text. The ones who really grasp it are the ones as uh, Vatican II says, who know it by experience. The text is in Dei Verbum number 8. I'm going to quote it for you, since it just occurred to me. I don't have it right here. Uh, but I'm going to be 90% or more accurate, because I, I, I know the text. The, the apostolic preaching, the Predicatio Apostolica, <coughs> progreditor, makes progress. Huh? Uh, first, through the prayer and contemplation of the faithful who hold these things in their hearts. It's the duty of the whole people of God to be carrying this Cana mystery, every other mystery, in prayer and contemplation. Then the second is, through the intimate knowledge of these realities, which they learn by experience. 
That's when the Holy Spirit brings our spirit into touch with this event, with Jesus in this event. And we understand it from the inside. And the third way, and this is the apostolic preaching, uh, by the preaching of those who have been given the charism of truth with Episcopal ordination. So the bishops preach it, but they have to be also reading and learning and experiencing. Uh, they just can't get up and preach it. Uh, that's why I have to pray for them. Okay? So, uh, here, Joseph Ratzinger is saying the church is not an abstract principle, but a living subject possessing a concrete content. This subject is by nature greater than any individual person, indeed than any single generation. Faith is always participation in a totality, and precisely in this way conducts the believer to a new breath of freedom. You hear what he's saying? You see, and this is the church. We're the church. Now we have leaders, thanks be to God. And the magisterium is a prophetic function. It's not just a juridic function. You're wrong, you're right. It's a prophetic function protecting the Word of God from ever being corrupted. Well, you can't do that by just looking at words. You have to know from the inside. And the, the charism of knowing that is uh, the, the gift of truth. Okay? Um, how exciting exegesis becomes when it dares to read the Bible as a whole. If the Bible originates from the one subject formed by the people of God and through it from the divine subject itself, then it speaks of the present. We've tried to do that in what we've done so far, right? Listen to the tradition of the Jewish liturgy as John brings it here to shed light on Jesus, okay? Uh, now, uh, I'll give you, there's a beautiful series of commentaries giving us a collection of what the fathers of the church said about any book in the Bible. They're all finished now. The one on John is particularly beautiful and uh, done by uh, Professor Joe Lilowski, a very good friend and a very fine scholar. I'm going to, before he presents the uh, <clears throat> actual text of the fathers, he gives us an overview. So I'm just going to read part of that. Jesus grants his mother's request in order to show both that he honors his mother, that's Venerable Bede, and that he was not governed by fate. It was a free decision. The jars used were for purification, which meant they would have been thoroughly cleansed. There could be no deception in how the miracle was accomplished. That's Chrysostom. They didn't sneak some wine in there. Um, <coughs> Those jars also symbolize the womb of the Virgin in which Jesus had been conceived and which also had witnessed a transformation of nature. That's the Syrian Ephraim, the mystic, the deacon. He's a great man. As a king coming to his own banquet, Christ not only brings his own wine, but also pours it for his guests as a servant. That's Ephraim again. Do you see how they penetrate the mysterion by the help of the Holy Spirit? This is what I'm trying to present, to help. We have to recover this. Well, how do I know if I made a mistake? Well, you know, you can share it with somebody. You think this is nuts. And, of course, if it's a 
serious point, you check it with the teaching of the church. And if you're off in left field, well, you bag that and go on. I mean, that's why we have a magisterium. I'm almost 60 years a theologian. I'm really glad we got one. Um, okay. Uh, he makes his own wine. Isn't that great? Of the gospel of the water of the law. He makes his own wine of the gospel out of the water of the law and the prophets, which without Christ have no taste. That's Augustine. You see how Augustine, without knowing anything of this liturgical background that we were able to profit by because of good historical study <coughs> in our own age about the Jewish tradition, he got it. See? And so he says, you see, this new wine is the gospel. Maximus, a great man, a confessor of the faith, the one who created water out of nothing, could change that same water into wine. The detail the evangelist John provides proves the genuineness of the miracle, as Theodore, as the miracle gradually unfolds before all those who witness it, culminating in the witness who could best testify to what happened, the steward in charge of the wedding. I'm just trying to show you how they, how they penetrate this, you see? Why I mean by, don't go too fast and pray to the Holy Spirit, and ask Our Lady to stand there and help you. This is a gift, this Word of God. It's for us. We have this whole new document, Verbum Domini, which is all about how the Word of God is for everybody. And we have some good translations and some help. And so, uh, I might read this beautiful long one. Uh, this is by St. Ephraim. It's in his hymn on virginity. Let Cana thank you for gladdening her banquet. This is him. This is a hymn by Ephraim praising Jesus. The bridegroom's crown exalted you for exalting it, and the bride's crown belonged to your victory. See what he's saying? Marriage is consecrated. The bridegroom, because in those days they have a crown and a crown, still do in the Eastern Rite. You see? And these crowns, you see, uh, in her, and the bridegroom's the bride's crown, in her mirror, whose mirror? The church's. Allegories are expounded and traced, for you portrayed your church in the bride, and in her guests, yours are traced. And in her magnificence, she portrays your advent. Let the feast thank him, for in multiplying his wine, six miracles were beheld there. The six wine jugs set aside for water, by which they invited the king to pour his wine. Uh, this is an interesting one. Do you see how beautiful they are? And how they penetrate. And then they speak. He says, oh, well, wait a minute. What's this got to do with historical critical method? Very important historical critical method. But when you start to talk about the reality and not just the words, and that's what they're doing, then you're in touch with the reality. And you don't have to say, this comes from this root. And that. You can say, this is the reality. And that is, I have a quote I'm not going to get to, I don't think, where Aquinas says, faith is a way of knowing. You got it? Faith is a way of knowing, not just a way of accepting. Knowing, penetrating these realities. All right, this is Augustine. He omitted none of the ancient scriptures, that is, the water. And for that reason, they were called senseless by the Lord, 
because they still tasted water, not wine. But how did he make wine from water? When he opened their understandings to them. Now he's going to Luke 24, right? How did the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, become wine? Jesus explained it. You see how deep they are? Uh, beginning with Moses through all the prophets. And, uh, and Venerable Bede, an Englishman, by this sign he made manifest that he was the king of glory and so the church's bridegroom. Therefore, let us love with our whole mind, dearly beloved, the marriage of Christ and his church. You see where he's going? Bede, you see? Which was prefigured then in one city and now celebrated throughout the world. Uh, I'll give you another remark by origin. Uh, what I'm trying to illustrate is the what uh, the fathers of the church call the mira profunditas, the huge, admirable, astonishing profundity of the Word of God. All these saints and geniuses are all seeing dimensions of this one gesture of Jesus. Here's Origen, my friend. None of the other three evangelists noted that John, the disciple, had reported in regard to the first work of Jesus that this was the beginning of the signs that Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. In fact, that which took place at Capernaum was not the principle of the signs, for the most outstanding of the signs of the Son of God is the joy of the wedding banquet. In all the circumstances in which might, men might find themselves, it is not so much in the healings, in healing the sick, that the word shows forth its proper beauty, but in the joy of the sober drink by which their good spiritual health enables us, enables them to enjoy the wedding feast. He heals us so we can enjoy this wine. Amen.